0: Oh, and welcome back to Chirps. Once again, Alex and Tara with you after a much more interesting week than we have had in quite a while in terms of how the St. Louis Cardinals are faring on the field. Probably led by some pretty spectacular performances, including or starting with that of Adam Wainwright, which we'll get to in a little bit. But as I did with Daniel Shoptah on the Gateway to Heaven podcast. Alex, I want to talk to you about the Field of Dreams game because I know you and I kind of, in talking about it in the Birds on the Black group chat, the the extra, the fanfare, the drama <laughs> that all could maybe seem like a little much actually to me, and I think to you, fit really well with the movie theme and was kind of cool. So not Cardinals related specifically, although I do have a follow-up note to tie it back into the Cardinals afterwards, but I want to know, did you enjoy the Field of Dreams game?
1: I thought it was cool. I, I didn't stay up, uh, regrettably, until the very end. Uh, you know, if, if a game's going to end like that, I need to know ahead of time.
0: Uh <laughs> Can I have so, a warning, please,
1: <laughs> so I can stay up um but I thought it was cool i I didn't have I didn't have the highest of expectations going in uh I thought it was weird that it wasn't on the actual field that they built uh, a brand new ballpark adjacent to the actual field, although if you looked at an aerial aerial view, you will see why they did that. Um, I didn't know what it was going to look like on television, if the whole thing was going to be cheesy, which it was pretty cheesy, um, but kind of, at least for me, I thought cheesy in a good way. I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was just a cool sort of commercial for, you know, that movie, if you care about that movie, but also like, um, and, and let's be, let me say something about that movie. It's a highly flawed movie. There's many legitimate flaws with that movie, but I like it. I like it a lot, nonetheless.
0: Have you ever tried to explain that movie to someone who hasn't seen it? Like, (laughs) just think about trying to explain that movie. It's it's, bizarre.
1: It's not easy. Um, and and baseball movie snobs out there, you know, Bull Durham's probably my eh, Major League might be my favorite baseball movie, but people have really strong feelings about Bull Durham, um, uh, as compared to Field of Dreams. Let me just say, like, some of the wild pitches that Tim uh, Robbins throws in uh, bull Durham are almost as unrealistic as ghosts coming out of the corn. So, (laughs) so let's not, let's not get out of control, but I I thought it was cool. I I thought it was a nice commercial for like Iowa um, who isn't often on a central national stage like that. If I was from Iowa, I would have been pretty thrilled and thought it was cool. You know, I, I always say that the greatest sunsets in the world, uh, happen in central Illinois. And uh, I bet people in Iowa say the same thing because, man, when that sun, um, they showed a few shots of it started to set over like the corn. It was like some major, like, ooh and ah moments.
0: It was the perfect picture of traditional America's pastime. <laughs> and I think that sort of f- farmland, cornfield uh, aesthetic. Certainly added to that, as did the sunset. And I do think, you know, it was nice for people to be talking about the state of Iowa for reasons other than, you know, politics. Um, So nice to have attention on the state for baseball, which doesn't happen often because, you know, we're not allowed to watch baseball here in uh, the eyes of Major League Baseball. So it was fun to see. And I agree. I think the pageantry was absurd but in the best way in terms of creating a moment out of everything that went into that I thought that Kevin Costner wandered around the outfield a a touch too long (laughs) there was a moment where I was like okay get it move on (laughs) but the pieces from the movie the nostalgia the magic of the moment people who were there seemed to talk about it even more in that sense than we saw on the television broadcast which was done to kind of incorporate the cinematic production value with the live event which was kind of a cool process Uh, personally i think they really oversold the drone shots (laughs) there they went to town on the drone shots but they were cool and it was pretty and it was picturesque and it was baseball in the heartland and everyone seemed to really appreciate that part of it so i thought it was cool I thought the game kind of lived up to the moment, which doesn't always happen. So that was cool. I do want to ask you how you feel about round two of the Field of Dreams game and the fact that it's the Cubs and the Reds.
1: <laughs> I know a lot of Cardinal fans are upset and I, I, I would have enjoyed seeing the Cardinals in that game, uh, especially against the Cubs, but I can't really bring myself to get mad online about it you never know what goes into these schedules. you know the schedule's already out so maybe it just wasn't going to work well with when they want to have this game on television versus when the Cardinals and Cubs were going to be able to play each other I don't know um the I wouldn't have been too upset with it being a one and done thing either um I suspect it's going to kind of turn into a winter classic type event where it's going to be an annual thing. And maybe not just in Iowa, maybe games like this will start sprouting up in a few other places. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I would like to have seen the Cardinals there, but Reds Cubs, two fun Midwestern teams with lots of history. I'm, I, I don't have much to say in earnest uh, other than whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that my, uh current thought on another year of it is that it's going to be hard to replicate the magic of kind of the unknown how they're going to do it what they're going to show who's going to be there so i'm sure they'll be able to pull off something that they didn't do this year that they can do the next time around but i'm not sure it's going to have that same uh, The this it's not going to feel the same A second time, which is why I would actually love for it to move a bit and kind of take the take the show on the road a bit, not in terms of the Field of Dreams theme, but in terms of taking baseball to places that don't really have access to it like that, but have just hordes of baseball fans who would love to see Major League Baseball in their backyard. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, The Cubs Reds thing, just to me, I can't imagine that being a very good series or a very good game. If you think about what the Cubs are going to look like a year from now and the Reds, I I don't know. It's just weird to me. And you're probably right. It's a scheduling thing more than anything else. Not the easiest sell though, as far as like, Hey, here's a game you should watch when it's the (laughs) triple a cubs and the reds
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i also suspect though that with having the iowa cubs in in des moines that and you could tell me the cubs probably are the most popular team in iowa um although you know kind of as, as we know by the blackouts there are several teams <laughs> represented there uh so I, I suspect they really wanted the Cubs in this game for uh, ratings purposes. But yeah, Cardinals and Cubs would have probably done better than uh, Cubs and Reds, but whatever. Um, I, my question, and I, I don't know if this has been discussed. So does this mean that field is a permanent fixture there or are they just going to... and like Because if it's like a permanent field, then I, that'd be kind of cool if they had like other... I don't know, college games there, or I don't know. What what are their plans for that? Have they discussed this? Is this something we're going to have to like spruce up every every year? Or is it just going to be like a field that's always kind of there and being taken care of?
0: I'm not sure because I know initially prior to the pandemic season that canceled the Field of Dreams game, I believe that the plan was to build it for the game and then tear it down essentially and turn it back into a cornfield. Uh, since they're going to play it again next year, (laughs) clearly not going to just tear it down. And from the get go, that seemed a little absurd. I mean, I realize $5 million is nothing to major league baseball, uh, but it's, it's a lot to do for one night. And I'm sure part of their reasoning for going forward with year two is that they saw how much money they can make off of it. (laughs) But, Nonetheless, I don't know. I haven't heard if there are specific plans for utilizing it at other parts of the year. I feel like that would be smart, whether you can get tournaments to be played there or college games to be played there or whatever it is. Keep it some sort of active but also special for those major league moments. I don't know. I think that would be that would be wise just in terms of the investment that they put into that property. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's a, a definitely a destination for people who are baseball fans and for people who are movie fans and they want to go see the set of the the film. So uh, you know, maybe it just adds a little bit of, of magic to that as well. So uh, I don't know, we'll see how that ends up working out if they, try it for a second time and it doesn't have the same appeal then maybe they'll i don't know let other let other baseball players play on it in some form or another
1: well when they had to dig up all that corn to build the second field i hope uh, another poor guy didn't lose his farm uh right like like what we saw happen in the movie um (laughs) uh, (laughs) i don't know
0: yeah uh I don't know the answer to that, but it would not be beyond the uh, realm of possibility where Major League Baseball is concerned <laughs> to right. uh, to do that to someone on the heels of the movie and then be like, look at this great thing we did. Um, but I don't know. So we won't assume. Anyway, the Cardinals not playing in the Field of Dreams game. However, playing much better in the last week, question mark. I mean, it was teams that they should not have had a terrible time with because they're not playing well but when you look at a week where they go six and (laughs) oh you have to feel pretty good about that no matter who the opponent is right
1: absolutely i wanted them to go four and two uh and six and oh is is the best you can ask for uh you know what's what's more lame than beating bad teams is losing the bad is losing the bad teams, which we've seen them do earlier this season, which mm-hmm. we may, you know, look back at the end of the year and think about that stretch of games against, I think it was the first time we played the tigers. And I forget who else was involved in that slew of games, but they did they didn't play well. And we may look back at that and say, that's where things kind of fell apart, but they did. <laughs> they pulled, they, I assume like you, they kind of pulled us all back in. they, They went from having a 1% chance of making the playoffs to 6%, uh, which by my math is, what, a 600% increase, (laughs) which is easy to do, I guess, when you have a a 1% 1 (laughs) chance when you're starting there. Uh, What I have really enjoyed about the last week, I went to the Nats game on Sunday with my son, and I was scoreboard watching. Uh, one, the Nats are playing the Braves, so I'm cheering for the Nationals. You know, because the Braves could be a team that we want to outlast in the wild card. Uh, I was seeing what the Phillies were up to, and the Mets, and uh, the Reds, obviously. Um, and this might all be for naught. This might not matter at all. It's it's the Cardinals are still not in a great spot. Not just because they're four games out of the wild card, but that they not only have to track down the Padres, but also leapfrog um, some other teams as well. And that's not an easy thing to do, but it's just fun uh, being able to do this in mid-August, late August, to to feel like, kind of start to feel that pennant race is not the right word. I don't, I, and we still call it a pennant race. This is not a, <laughs> it, I, I assume that pennant race is as a holdover from when they were just American League and National League and, you know, whoever finished the top, you know, won the pennant. But it, f- it still has that feel, right? You, you, mm-hmm. You're you looking at the standings, you're scoreboard watching, and that is one thing that baseball has that I don't think other sports can replicate as well, and they've always had that. And so th- that's credit to the Cardinals. They've, they've put us in a position where we can actually – look at other teams scores and act like they matter.
0: Yeah. And I think, man, I said earlier, uh, I guess over the weekend, I said, this is not a team that has any business <laughs> looking uh, at the possibility of a, a postseason run right now because of the way that they've played most of the season, but here they are. And we talked last week that it's important for maybe not in the same way as it is for other teams, but it's important for the St. Louis Cardinals to put themselves in contention as often as humanly possible. And that's sort of what they've done by going 6-0 in a week where they played much weaker teams. And we even heard from Nolan Arenado this week that this is why he's here. This is why he wanted to come to St. Louis, because this is a team that's going to give you that final push. Maybe it came a little too late. We'll see what happens with that. But it's a team that you feel like has a run in them, even when they're playing bad baseball. And just as soon as you're out, they do something that pulls you back in. And that's, you know, for Nolan Arnado to say, hey, look, this is why I'm here, because this is what I want. I want a team that's gonna push all the way to the end. And when it seems like all hope is lost, they're still gonna believe that they have a chance to make something happen. Obviously, I'm I'm extrapolating <laughs> from his very short quote, but nonetheless. And that's what they've done. And of course, certainly in large part due to Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, maybe for the first time all season, hitting in the same week together in the same games even, hitting pretty well. Of course, some, you know, surprise heroics from none other than Lars Newtbar, who's becoming the uh the the folk hero that every season needs. And to see the offense clicking like it did, again you know, how how much you attribute to the competition versus them actually getting better, I don't know yet. We'll see in this series with the Brewers, as we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon prior to that series starting. Mm-hmm. But I also think the pitching settling down is how this team's always going to put itself back in contention. And I mentioned off the top, Adam Wainwright, who seems to be in the best headspace of his entire career to me, where he just kind of doesn't care what is going on around him, but he's also really dialed in what he does best, regardless of what anybody else on any other team in any other moment is doing. And then he goes out and throws a complete game shutout with less than 90 pitches. I mean, it's, I don't care who the competition is. That's a masterful performance from someone who's been around the game as long as he has that maybe doesn't have the electric stuff that other guys have to get there. He's just smart and he's, it's not even crafty in the sense of, uh, you know, he's just barely hanging on to his career kind of crafty, but he knows how to get hitters to do something (laughs) that will get them out. And it's incredible to watch. It has been all season and then to see it to come together like that, I don't know what to say about Adam Wainwright that hasn't been said, Alex, but I feel really lucky that we're getting to see this version of Adam Wainwright when a couple of seasons ago, he almost walked away.
1: Right. Or was forcibly uh, right. <laughs> pushed away. I mean, he I thought he was cooked. And sure, the, the pirates absolutely stink, but that um, I'm curious if you would say the same, but that was easily my favorite moment of the season so far, that game. Uh, uh, Just how excited I was uh, from beginning to end. And the thing with pitching a Maddox, which is a complete game shutout, fewer than 100 pitches, it was a term coined by, uh, he was an old Cleveland uh, Indians blogger, Jason Lucart. Uh, He coined that several years ago, or more than that now. Um, and it's really caught on, but the, the thing with pitching at Maddox is that it only takes one bad inning, not even a bad inning. It just takes one pedestrian. Neighbored. Inning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where you throw, uh, 18 to the 22 pitches and you're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And so to see a pitcher on point from, uh, the first inning until the end is really fun to watch. And even more so when it's Adam Wainwright, who I think I've said on this podcast might possibly be my favorite Cardinal since Ozzie Smith. Uh, I absolutely love Adam Wainwright, both on and off the field. Uh, he's had several moments since 2015 when, when he got hurt and then he he came back, I guess at the end of that season, but he had several, he's had several kind of like tiny moments Since then, when he hasn't been as good, but he's pitched a good game and we've been like, ah, that's the like the moment I needed to have from Adam Wainwright just to like feel good about his career. Uh, They keep happening Um, (laughs) and and he he's having his best season right now since 2014 and. I don't know where we would be without him. He is on pace to maybe throw 200 innings. Uh, Last I checked at the at the end of the game. Against Pittsburgh, he was second in the National League in innings pitched, and I shudder to think where the team would be w- without without him. Uh, you know, with Flaherty getting hurt and all that. I mean, obviously we had to go to the dustbin to get Jay Happ to get John Lester, uh, with now KK being hurt. So I don't know what to say other than it was a wonderful moment, and the Cardinals might not make the playoffs this year, but I'm going to remember that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what is so special to me about Adam Wainwright on the field is that t- similar to the Cardinals, <laughs> just when you're you think you're out, he does something that pulls you back into the moment and makes you go, Oh, right, that's that's who he's capable of being. And again, Pirates Notwithstanding, you know, I heard a quote, I don't remember who shared it, but from Adam Wainwright that in the past, he said his goal is to make the first number of his pitch count match the inning that he's pitching in, which is an admirable goal. But you know, it doesn't always go to plan that way, and there's a reason that we've seen in the past, even Adam Wainwright will throw a hundred pitches in five innings and he's out of the game. It doesn't happen super often, and certainly not this season. But to have that in your mind to be able to do that and then some throughout the entirety of a game it's it speaks to so much of his mental uh strength and the ability to kind of control his own <laughs> reactions to the moment to be able to work all the way through that plus you know being healthy and really like i said knowing how to dial it in with his own skill set is pretty remarkable and I think you know we talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that maybe Yadier Molina has had some rough moments behind the plate this year but I do think there is something special about that duo of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina that they know each other so well that not only is is Waino himself really in tune with his own mechanics but so is Yadier Molina and they know how to kind of read every moment in the same way which is which has to be something that contributes to just the comfort level in those moments that they've had so many of together. So I feel like we could go on and on about Adam Wainwright at this point, but just repeating ourselves mostly.
1: I do have one more thing I would like to say, which is that I thought it was also a great example of what this team is capable of when a pitcher is throwing strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he, he struck out uh, some batters, but he also allowed contact and what happened this team that plays good defense turned that contact into outs uh most notably harrison bader who made three uh catches that range from good to awesome uh and that really has been what this team has been missing all year which is just throwing strikes and i you do wonder where this team would be if they had a, a pitching staff and it anecdotally i feel as though it's settled down a bit um and and Anecdotally, we're in a six-game winning streak. So, yes, they have not been walking a <laughs> bunch of b- batters, you know, with the bases loaded and, and things like that. Uh, but I do hope that is a trend moving forward because I, I, I do th- – yeah, sometimes you're going to throw a ball across the plate and they're going to hit it over the fence. Um, but sometimes, more often than not, and it, you throw the ball across the plate and good things will happen to the, the, def- the, the team that's throwing the pitch. Um, certainly better things than when you're not throwing the ball across the plate as we've seen. So that was another nice thing about that game. And, you know, this often happens in no hitters as well, but it turns into often a team performance. Uh, Adam Wainwright is like 90% responsible for what happened during that game, if not more, but there's, but there's little contributions here and there uh, from teammates um, because, he was throwing strikes and because they were putting the ball in play and because he has a good defense behind him, which turned those balls into outs.
0: We often hear about guys playing defense behind a pitcher that's throwing well and how it kind of amplifies their own kind of focus on doing their job to make sure that he's able to, you know, get through those innings scoreless as well. So maybe a, a prime example of what this team looks like when it's at its best, maybe not, you know, the starter pitching a Maddox, but, just sort of generally speaking, throwing strikes, allowing the defense to work and getting the offensive uh, performance that you need to to um, counter that is pretty good recipe, I would say, <laughs> for winning a lot more games than you lose. It's interesting. You, you mentioned how sort of based on what we've seen and how it feels like the pitching has leveled out a bit. It reminds me a little bit after the Tommy Edmund comment about how I just don't think we're preparing very well. After that, it did sort of feel like there was an offensive shift and maybe some better at-bats from guys. And anecdotally, it sort of felt like they were making some of those improvements that they talked about. But we weren't really sure if it was just perception (laughs) or if it was reality. And as some time went on, you did actually start to see in the numbers some reflection of that. You know, not all of a sudden flipping a switch, but some reflection of that. So hopefully that is what we end up seeing with the pitching as well. No tougher test than going up against the Brewers right now, who've been very comfortable at the top of the division. It seems like forever, (laughs) or at least since the Cubs really started to fall off. This Brewers team is one that I think in a lot of ways they have players outperforming expectations. But they're also an organization that has been very diligent about making changes as they needed to in order to keep the ball rolling. (laughs) And we'll see how that works with a Cardinals team that is playing much better than they were, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, Of course, Colton Wong back with that team who (laughs) shockingly apparently plays with a lot of excitement and flair. Not shocking at all. We all knew this already. But how do you feel about this team coming off a six and a week against the pirates and the Royals going into a series with the Brewers knowing that they have, again, we're recording this prior to the start of the series, knowing that they have 13 games with this Brewers team left on their schedule (laughs) as the season dwindles down.
1: First off it's wild. And I didn't learn until yesterday that they still had 13 games to go against the Brewers. Uh, the more I thought about it, I was like, I guess we haven't really uh, played the Brewers that many times this year. Uh, But look, the Brewers are a better team than the Cardinals. Uh, They have better pitching. Um, They have a front office who came in, was that 2017? I'm trying to remember. And and really started to make good moves. And uh, it has shown up on the field. Uh, They are kind of, What the Cardinals used to be, which is a team picked to win, um, I don't know, mid-80s, and then they're going to run away with a division. Uh, The Cardinals are probably not going to catch the Brewers. I don't think that's news to anyone. They would, at a minimum, probably have to go 9-4 and against them in these last 13 games, which they're probably not going to do. Uh, But that doesn't mean they can't hold their own against the Brewers. I think they need to... If if the Cardinals are serious about staying in this, it would be nice to go two and three. I mean, you know, win two of three in this series. Um, keep the offense going. You know, I, I mentioned that anecdotally, it seemed like the relief pitching and the starting pitching was doing a lot better with the walks and stuff like that. Part of that, part of it probably feels that way because when the bullpen has given up runs, the Cardinals have had a six-run lead, and we haven't really <laughs> noticed <laughs> as much or cared that that did happen a few times or once or twice this past mm-hmm. week. Um, so if the offense wants to continue to score six or seven runs, um, <laughs> there's that, that, that reminds me of that, that, uh, that stat that Danny Mack keeps circling back to, which is like the Cardinals are such and such, uh, you know, 48 and whatever, when they score at least four runs. And he was touting it as if there was this remarkable stat when in fact they're below the ba- the average of, base baseball team when, when they score four runs in terms of (laughs) wins and losses. Uh, So yeah, you score four runs or more, you're probably going to win that game. Uh, If they can keep scoring, you know, their last, I'm just going to rattle off how many they've scored in their last, um, well, whatever game, seven, nine, six, seven, four, four, five, five, four, four, four. Um, So that right there, um, that, that amounts to a lot of wins. Um, If they can keep scoring runs, they're probably going to keep winning games, you know, even if the bullpen uh, gives up a run or two. Uh, but I don't know. And You know, the Brewers, hats off to them. Uh, they're going to win the division. Uh, they deserve to win the division. They've been very smart with the way they have built this roster. And they decided to get better, even when it was pretty clear that they were in the capper seat to win the division uh, near the deadline. So I salute them. I hope the Cardinals can still uh, somehow manage to to win a majority of games against them this year. But as someone else said, I think on the off-day podcast, even though we we're playing the Brewers a lot, it doesn't feel like we're chasing the Brewers. Uh, we're we're, right. we're in that wild card race right now, which not what we wanted, but at this point, I will take it.
0: Yeah. And speaking of that wild card race, it'll be interesting to see how the next week or so plays out because the Cardinals are playing the Brewers, but then they go back to that somewhat softer part of their schedule. They've got the Pirates at the end of the week, then I believe a couple with the Tigers and then the Pirates again. Meanwhile, the Padres are finishing up a series with the Rockies, which is suddenly an important team to keep an eye on. <laughs> then they take on the Phillies over the weekend who have a little bit to play for themselves, So that could be an interesting series. Meanwhile, the Reds have the uh, currently the benefit of playing the Chicago Cubs for three more games and then the Marlins. So not exactly the toughest part of their schedule as well. And as much as we're watching the Padres, we still have to keep an eye on the Reds, too, because they're still sitting ahead of the Cardinals in that wild card race whatever race it will become it feels strange going from a couple of weeks ago saying well it's been uh, it's been a season <laughs> to all of a sudden like you said scoreboard watching and feeling like suddenly these games are important but that's that, that's ultimately what you hope for is the end of august into september looking at games that matter for something even if it's just to squeeze your way into the second wild card spot and all of a sudden the cardinals have given themselves with some help, uh, a bit of a chance. And, um, you know, we'll take we'll take that bit of a chance at this point, I think, and see what they can do with it, starting with the series with the Brewers.
1: Yeah, so, Alex. I, well, I was going to oh, say, go one, if, if there's time, do you mind if I dump on the Chicago Cubs for a little bit? <laughs> go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, there was a tweet last night from, I believe, uh, Stathead, that said, in the Cubs' last 45 games – they have a negative 112 run differential in their last 45 games. Now there used to be, I don't know how much of an exact science this was, and I, I don't think it was much, but it, they, I think they used to say like 10 runs equals like a win. Meaning like if you have a negative 20 run differential, you you might be like, you know, two games under 500 or, or, or what? So like the Cubs basically are working on a, uh, Um, I don't know, like an 88 loss season, uh, 88, yeah, 88 losses over the course of 162 games in 40. They've squeezed that into 45 games somehow, basically, and uh, um, they have now lost, I think, 12 in a row. It's their second losing streak of 11 or more. Could you? I can't even imagine having to sit through that and how just infuriating that would be as a fan, um, let alone having to do it twice in June, in June, they were in first place. They might lose 100 games. Has that, has that ever, I'm just asking out loud here. Has that ever happened? I would have to say no. Um, and it seems crazy that they might lose hundred games because when they lost, when, when they, um, excuse me, when they won their 50th game, they had 51 losses. They have now won 52 games, and they're close to 70 losses. Uh, So it seems crazy that they might lose 100 games, but it is somewhat plausible. Um, They have 52 wins. Does this team have 11 wins left in them? I don't know. I don't don't think they do. It's not so much that they're losing, but they are just getting absolutely destroyed uh, night in and night out. It's just a debacle. It's exactly what I was talking about last week that I don't want to ever see happen to the Cardinals. And I would rather them be in this, again, people are free to disagree with me. I'd rather them be in this stage of like, yeah, they might only end up winning like 85 games than doing what the Cubs are doing now, no matter the dividends it pays off two or three years down the road. Like I still think the Cardinals are in a better spot to get better with the core they have than what the Cubs are doing. But I could be proven wrong. I don't know.
0: Even if you are this remainder of the season, not pleasant for uh, for Chicago Cubs fans or for Wilson Contreras, who has to play with this motley crew of minor league guys, apparently. So, yeah, rough stretch, rough go. And uh, who knows how bad it will get by the time this season wraps up. Uh, of course they'll probably hit their recharge button just in time for the series with the Cardinals, but we'll see we'll see what happens there. hopefully hopefully not so much. Um, Alex, that's all I have from yeah. this week of actually pretty decent Cardinals baseball. So I think it's time for the chirp of the week.
1: All right, so Tara, you probably saw that earlier this week Tyler Gilbert of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Through a no hitter in his very first career start. So cool. See, even when you're having a lousy season, uh, like the Diamondbacks, there's still you know little, little Easter eggs here and there that you can grab onto and uh, you know remember and uh, celebrate. Uh, only the fourth time that's ever happened: uh, a pitcher in his first career start throwing a no hitter. In uh, the first time since 1953, and given the illustrious history of Major League Baseball you know something is pretty rare when it's only happened four times. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think one of the great things about baseball as compared to other sports is it allows for someone to be like king for a day more than other sports. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's a moment like this, you know, plenty of pitchers have even thrown a perfect game and then really didn't do much with the rest of their careers. But their name will always be, you know, on that Wikipedia page or on that on whatever that says, you know, this person threw a perfect game on this date. And that's one of the cool things about baseball. Uh, the Cardinals do not have someone who has thrown a no hitter recently in their first career start. But I wanted to look instead at hitters who have hit a home run in their very first career at bat notably Cardinals, who have done that, since this is, in fact, a Cardinals podcast. Uh, When I was growing up, Will Clark was the player that every time he would come up to bat, they would mention this guy hit a home run in his very first at bat, which he did in April uh, of 1986. Um, It also doesn't happen very often, but it certainly happens way more often than throwing a no-hitter in your very first start. And the Cardinals have actually had a player. uh, The Cardinals have done this 10 times. 10 different times has a Cardinal hit a home run in their very first at bat. And I'm going to give you the names right now. The very first Cardinal to do it was Eddie Morgan in 1936. And then Wally Moon in 1954. And now the floodgates are about to open because we are going to jump ahead to the year 2000. Uh, think of the old Conan O'Brien sketch and the the year 2000 voice in your head. Uh, We're jumping ahead to the year 2000. Um, So the Cardinals went from, you know, 1882 until 1999 and only had had this happen twice. But starting in the year 2000, on July 4th, 2000, Keith McDonald hit a home run in his very first at bat. Do you remember that? I certainly do not. Um, A mere 13 days later, Chris Richard of the Cardinals hit a home run in his very first at bat. And then in 2001, April 2001, Gene Stickolty, pitcher, hit a home run in his very first at bat. Okay, that's cool. That is very cool. And the Cardinals right there, uh McDonald, Richard and uh w- were three in a row across all major league baseball. Um okay. players that hit a home runs in their first at bat uh Three happened and they were all Cardinals um, nice. until, until another one happened from another team. 2004, Hector Luna, that's number six. 2006, number seven, do you remember who it is? We talked about him earlier. This is another cool one. Adam Wainwright hit a home run in his very oh, first at right. bat. I know that stat, but I forget it. I always yeah, forget I it. And I have to be reminded. That. Number eight, Mark Worrell in 2008 hit a home run in his very first at bat. I got to confess, I don't remember that. Uh, I do remember this one. In 2017, Paul DeYoung hit a home run in his very first at bat. That's number nine. And number 10, last, um, I was about to say, and certainly not least, but I don't know if that applies here, uh, um, Lane Thomas hit a home run in his very first at bat in 2019. Lay Th- Lane Thomas now, of course, of the... Washington Nationals. And I mentioned I was at the Washington Nationals game on Sunday and he drove in a run and someone turned to me and said, I can't believe you all gave us this guy for John Lester. And I said, well, (laughs) I can tell you we weren't exactly like jumping for joy about getting John Lester, but I don't think anyone was necessarily crying either about losing Lane Thomas, but I hope he does well for you all. Um, and those are the 10, um, seems like a lot, uh, and going down the list, it looked like the Cardinals had, uh, an abundance, uh, as compared to other teams, but I don't know quite where it ranks. Um, I do think it's pretty interesting that from 1882 until 1999, they had two. And then since 2000, the year 2000, they've had eight, um, other fun facts, Adam Wainwright and uh, Gene Secholti are two of 19 pitchers to be on the list. And former Cardinal Gary Gaetti has the most career home runs for a player to hit a home run in their first career at bat, although he did not hit that home run with the Cardinals, of course. He was was with another club. And uh, there were only two Hall of Famers on the list, neither of which I'd ever heard of because they played a very long time ago which, again, reinforces this sort of anyone can be a king for a day thing. Um, a lot of players have hit a home run in their very first at bat. None of them were Willie Mays or, you know, or none of these home run hitters that everyone knows and can rattle off. It's often Chris Richard or <laughs> Hector Luna or, or something like that, and that's what makes baseball so cool. Anyone can be king for a day. Uh, the other day, Tyler Gilbert got to be king, so good for him.
0: Hopefully for him, that's not the only shining moment of his career. But even if it is, man, what a cool moment. <laughs> what a cool chance to do that and give Diamondbacks fans something to be really excited about. Because they haven't had many of those moments this no. year. So good for you, Tyler Gilbert. And uh, for Adam Wainwright, once again, for hitting a home run as a pitcher uh, in your first at bat. That's that's. I we didn't even mention in the last start that he had two hits and drove in a run of his own and all those things, which he takes almost as much pride in as his actual pitching. So again, round of applause for Adam Wainwright.
1: Yeah. And I think in the same game, and I didn't realize this, but I think in the same game before he hit that double or whatever, I think he hit the double before he hit the single. They mentioned that he was in the middle of like a 0 for 35 stretch, which I, <laughs> which I had not realized because Anytime he come up plate, I'm always thinking, oh, here's Wainwright. He can, yeah. he can swing the bat. I'm like, you know, I'm like an old school announcer who's not really actually paying attention to what's happening. Uh, you know, this guy can hit. Look out. Meanwhile, he has like an OPS of, uh, you know, 200 or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so,
0: something. <laughs> it is a little bit misleading when you think about pitchers because, you know, we're not seeing them hit every day. And then you know that they're capable of hits like that. So I always kind of chuckle when somebody says, oh, he's a great hitter. Well, no, not really. He's just, Somewhat decent for a pitcher. A,
1: <laughs> that's exactly right. He's a decent hitter for a pitcher. That is yeah. the qualifier. That yeah. said, uh, do you remember that pinch hit double he hit in Pittsburgh several seasons ago in extra innings? Yes, I I, I will always remember that of, of the many many memories I have of Adam Wainwright. That will always be one of them. That was awesome.
0: I will tell you, there are a number of times where Adam Wainwright has been sent up as a pinch hitter, and the part of my brain that's like a pitcher pinch hitting is a little confused. And then the other part of my brain, my brain goes, well, (laughs) I mean,
1: this could be awesome. (laughs) Yeah. We could have an awesome moment on our hands. (laughs) I mean, he's probably going to strike out, but this could be great. I'm
0: not mad about the option. Um, Because once again, Adam Wainwright is awesome. And maybe that's the best place to wrap this up and leave this podcast as he actually gets the start, I believe to kick off the series with the brewers, which will have already happened by the time that you listen to this so hopefully he does more awesome things and we sound like we're predicting the future who knows <laughs> but for now thanks for another chat Alex thanks to everyone for listening make sure you check out all the other stuff going on over at Birds on the Black and other friends of the pod and their shows as well lots of great cardinals content in a season where there hasn't been a ton of great cardinals baseball so at least we've got that going for us until next time i'm tara he's alex we'll talk to you soon